Start this shindig. Yeah, let's start this. We got uh, we got some torturous stories for you to Welcome, go through. Welcome, one and all. The wood, air, and metal. The follow-up to what happens after you prep for a gig and prep and prep and prep and then show. Then what happens? Tim. Damn it! I dropped my. Text. All good things. <laughs> Take us away into the the world of what happened last Wednesday. <laughs> that that was totally so nice. Yeah, so as we were talking uh, last week, I had a live stream. I'm not sure if anybody checked it out, but you can still find it. Yeah, I watched like 10 minutes of it. I had to teach. Yeah. But, uh, so you can still wow. check it out, Adam. It's still out there. Oh my gosh, hold on. Uh, it's still out there, and you can find it. The, but it was a comedy of errors the night. It was <laughs> the joys of... It was like a real gig, you know, where things don't work. So we, we got there, got there on time, got there early, got set up, got to do a nice sound check. I was running the whole red play vendor thing with everything I talked about last week. And about 10 minutes before we were going to go on, the there was just this crazy sound coming from the red play. Well, I thought it, at first I couldn't quite tell where it was coming from. Um, eventually, then I was like, seeing if it was a pedal or something so I like unplugged every pedal did the whole the whole shtick and then uh, it really wasn't going away this sound and then all of a sudden um, the red play just turned off <laughs> like they powered completely? Like, yeah no power nothing like the red light the, the that's not yeah and I, you know at the same time I was messing with stuff so could I have caused a short, like, because I was, at this point, I was trying to, like, just get rid of it and get rid of the sound. Um, but anyway, yeah, something ended up blowing a fuse on the red plate about 10 minutes before, which was like, okay, crap. <laughs> and then, uh, um, now, now, luckily, I had, a, I had a backup amp. Yeah. And then I also, um, in this particular group, there's a lot. There's distortion stuff through, and I actually was really, really close to not bringing a distortion pedal. And I actually thought, and in fact, at that point I had unplugged it. So in the earlier, I I didn't even have it plugged in the loop, because for one, the red plates distortion is like there's no pedal I've ever found that's even like in the oh, same yeah, same ballpark. Just from um, your videos, it sounds absolutely incredible. Oh man, wait till you, one day you're gonna hear it live. And you're gonna. Yeah. It's amazing, amazing amp. It's my baby, and of course it died. So, like, so I'm thinking, like, crap, what happened to the amp? I hope nothing bad happened to it. Got to go on in five to ten minutes, and um, I'm like, oh, I don't even have it. Just like, I don't like how am I how am I gonna do some of these songs? So like, I'm gonna have to rewire. So I had to rewire everything back up because I had this kind of weird wiring scheme going on. And then I ended up running it all in series, basically, to the input of the Fender amp. Which, ironically, so I have a Fender um, Hot Rod Deluxe, um, which I actually bought used off the gear page. It's been 10 to 15 years, I think. Oh, nice. And when I bought it, the guy had done some mods to it. Um, 
like rebiased it, did some stuff with the tubes or whatever, and then he upgraded the speaker. I think I only paid like 400 bucks for it or something too, which is a great deal. You can't even find them used even without mods, you know, that cheap now. Um, I'm pretty, I get kind of lucky finding some good deals that way. Anyway, and that amp is notoriously bad for reliability. However, <laughs> that I've done hundreds of gigs with that thing. And like my daughter is coming with me with gigs before and she like she wanted to come. And I remember her like dropping it down the stairs. <laughs> and like like it, like hard like concrete stairs like dung yeah. dung dung and I'm like crap it's probably not going to work. Never had an issue. That thing works <laughs> like it's like right. clockwork. It's been left in the car in the fr- freezing, you know, like when it's 2 degrees outside. It's been left in the car when it's 110 degrees outside. And it like nothing kills that amp. Of course, now it's gonna die since I said yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. But, but uh, it was reliable as ever. Um, that night. It and then the nice thing about the Fender Hot Rod series, if you haven't like the Hot Rod Deluxe and the Deville, is they're just amazing pedal amps. Like every, like some of the amps I have, like I have a Mesa and a Marshall and the Red, even the Red Plate. The Red Plate takes pedals pretty well, but. Like the Mesa takes pedals horrible. The one I have, like, like, it's very picky. It only likes like five of the pedals, or like a couple of the pedals that I have, and pretty much hates all the rest. They just sound horrible. And you'd even think like, man, who would ever want this pedal? It just sounds terrible through the amp. But in the the hot uh, the hot rod, every pedal I have sounds great. Like they really sound good in that amp. It takes pedals amazing. It's so if you ever hear like a good pedal amp, that's what it means. It basically means. Like, any pedal you put on it just sounds great. Um, it sounds like what you th- you would think it would sound like. But anyway, so yeah, then the the red plate died. I rearranged all the stuff. Quickly, like, readjusted all the levels, too, because all the levels on the pedals were now different because of where they yeah. were and what they were doing. And um, basically got that together right about, like, 8 o'clock when we were going to start. And then the guy that, that runs the live stream was like... Um, it's not working. The live stream is not working. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so we're sitting there and it's funny cause he was like, Hey, we're going to go live. And then like, I know Paul and I, like we shared it on our thing, like, Hey, check out this link. And then it just disappeared. <laughs> and then he tried again and it disappeared and tried again. And it kept like canceling out. And then he found out like the Sonic wall for the company, like was blocking something so and then the IT place was closed, so they weren't gonna fix it anytime soon. But he had done this before. We had to like go around the router or whatever to get to the internet. Um, and that none of that worked. So eventually, we used my phone as a hotspot, and I had him connect through my phone. There you go. Um, okay, pretty darn good. And then, uh, but we started about forty some minutes late. You know, yep. and at that point, Paul and I like we had no idea if we were gonna play or not. Um, I think we both started the set pretty rough, and but it went okay. I mean, from what I timed in, probably about forty minutes into your set. Uh, was that so? Is that the first minute of the set? <laughs> no, like after you legitimately started playing. Like I remember you you, you texted me. Yeah. Uh, before were filling me in. I'm like, well, this is at least podcast material. Yeah, right. <laughs> Something salvageable from the night. Um, and uh, it's, it's it, then it, 
it, when you started it, it was like, all right, well, oh, okay, yeah, I have my phone. So I jumped in, jumped in for about a minute. What you know what's funny, too, is I called ahead about, because um, they, they have a Fender twin there. It's pretty nice, you know, and I, and I like twins fine. And I was like, I don't really want to bring my Fender amp if I can help it. And I text him and I said, hey, is the Fender working? And he's like, yeah, the last time we used it, it was making a bunch of noise. I was like, well, guess I'm not using that one either. So that, that could have been an interesting night if I would have not brought the extra backup. So lesson is always bring if you can't always Jeez. bring it. That, that's crazy. It reminds me of like, well, I mean, I already told the story about breaking all the strings, which is the reason why I bought another acoustic steel string. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like you learn. It's like, oh, next time I'm going to have a backup so I don't have to worry about this. Yeah, um, sure. But then one of my old teachers, Francois Fowler, that had a, a head guy at the Youngstown State, he was for right before his master recitals. You know, he was doing a warm up on his Humphrey, you know, ten thousand dollar classical, like we all have, type of thing. And uh, he uh, was saying, like, I, I finished it. I finished my warm up. I put it in the case. I grab my footstool. I stand up. I trip. Throw the footstool. Slow motion, circling through the air. Bam! Right into the soundboard. Like, sticks right into the thing. Dang. Just through, just boonk, right into it. He's like, I, I I couldn't, like, not go on. So he's like, I, I pulled the thing out, and I walked out and played with an extra sound hole in uh, my guitar and played the get, or played the recital. He's like, it went great, but, you know, obviously I had a, a bit of an issue after that. You know, it was more structural damage than, uh, or not, it wasn't structural damage, to the extent of damaging the output of the guitar, but it would clearly having an extra hole isn't going. It's like, yeah, I need to send this in and get it fixed, which is funny because I watch that uh, repair guy channel now, and it's just fascinating to see what he does. Like, because some of the repairs he does because of clients, and other ones he just likes a challenge. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, I'll give it a shot. What the, what the heck? Why not? You know, taking a chips in and making it actually playable, or taking these old like 1930s guitars that have had many dubious fixes on them and being like, yeah, let's just redo it. Like, he, like, takes the back right off of it and redoes all the bracing inside. It's like, that is not a cheap fix. Yeah, Might as well sure. buy a good guitar for that much money. Holy crap. But everybody's got their stories. Yeah, sure. was, uh, Gabe was telling us at the gig that someone had borrowed a cello from, I think, a professor at Oberlin, maybe. Oh, no. And the, I, don't, I already don't like where this they're, is they're they're playing it and like the bridge snapped, you know. So the strings like slammed or the whole thing like slammed. Luckily, it didn't crack like the top or anything. <laughs> and, and he said like the person that was playing like was just in tears, like they felt oh, so yeah. horrible that it happened. And the yeah. the husband of the person who they were borrowing it from was like in the front row, you know, like. But he was, I guess he was like, it's okay, don't you know, it'll be all right, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, in one sense, it, thank God it was just like whatever that, the, the string post or whichever, it just snapped. Because that, I can imagine that being significantly less expensive than the top cracking. Like, yeah, I guess what happens, like, right, there's enough tension, I guess, that sometimes when that happens, it'll actually like crack the top. Yeah. 
No, thank you. That that's uh, cellos are like mortgages. Same thing with violins. You know, everybody's like, "How can you spend that much on a guitar?" And I'm like, "Dude, do you realize how cheap this is compared to playing violin or getting like a, a decent concert violin?" You know, it's like you, you're you're talking fifty k easy. So easy. I remember it, it's like we all know somebody that uh, had the old uh, the mortgage on a violin type of thing. It's like, yeah, they've been yeah. this thirty years, and it's like, well, you know, that's. You ever thought, like, what an interesting investment that is, though? Like, could you imagine? It's so easy for us to buy guitars in a lot of ways, right? Like, they're relatively cheap, and you can have a bunch of them. Um, So you never really, like, hone in on I mean, you try. You maybe have a favorite or two. But, like, if you, if you play a $50,000 violin, like, all the little int- the intricacies or, like, oddities about the instrument... Like, you can't just change them, really. Like, you kind of just have to accept what they are and then work with it. And that becomes, like, your quote-unquote sound or whatever. Um, I don't know. I guess I don't know how much trading or, like, upgrading or whatever people do in that world. Yeah, I have no clue. That might have been an interesting person to get a violinist on. Yeah, especially somebody who maybe, yeah, just to find out, like if you buy that hundred thousand dollar violin, your parents mortgage it or whatever when you're eighteen, and you t- decide you're going to the conservatory, do or whoever's paying for it, do you just accept? Like, do you just say this is the instrument I'm having the rest of my life, or do you say like, you know, after you graduate, you're like, okay, I'm gonna try to upgrade this, take out a second mortgage, yeah, exactly. <laughs> to the the hundred fifty thousand dollar version, yeah, exactly, and that gets to the point of like. You know, I remember reading an article how, like, in guitar pricing, you know, up to $1,000, you know, you get, like, your different ranges of where it stays pretty static in quality. Like, up to 300 bucks. You're not going to get anything that's going to be, like, blaringly better than yeah. $150. It's, it's mild, but it's not huge. But between, like, 3 and 7 there's a significant leap in there. Once you get about the $500 to $700 mic, and I'm thinking acoustic, not electric, um... You're starting to get with real woods, better manufacturing, more consistent manufacturing. Like that's where the Taylor Academies come in, and those are actually really nice for the money. I I'm, I've been floored. Like a, a student of mine got one a couple of years ago. Uh, she just started, and she's like, "Oh, I just bought this Taylor Academy." And I'm like, "Oh, I haven't seen these things yet." And it, it's got a bevel. I mean, it's a, you know, right. it, it doesn't look like there's any real paint on it, so there's no shellac or anything. The thing was booming loud. Action was fantastic. You know. Um, I was like, this is seriously impressive for the price. That's awesome. And then, you know, between five and th- uh, 500 to 1000 ish, there's ones that'll stick out, but nothing where it's like, whoa. But to, when you get to the 1000 to 2000 mark is where you're starting to get a really good quality instrument. And then from 2000 to 3000, it gets to be a little bit more um, flair of the visual, as they call it, you know, like better looking woods, more purfling and more fret dot, you know, the stuff that's just cosmetic is pretty, but you're not really getting that much more. And once you get about 3K, that's where it starts to split to big manufacturer, high end and paying somebody to build you one. Right. You know, like beginning luthiers start around 3K, at least in my recent research. And, you know, the good news is, is you could get exactly what you want from a dude that'll build it for you. But the problem is, is, they might not get any of that experience. You don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. You know, there was somebody's dad in my uh, group in my uh, graduating class that started building guitars 
while he was in school. And, you know, it was hit or miss with it. It's like some of them were like, oh, that that sucks. There's just no nice way to put it. But the counterpoint that other ones were like, holy cow. Now, that's an awesome win. Like, if you can spend 3K and get a guitar that sounds like that, score! You know, it, it was holding its own against the other ones in the class, which was great, you know? Um, so it, that's where the divergence go. And then, you know, you can get up to, like, I think Taylor's top of the line is around 6 or 7. Paul Reed Smith's go for, like, 9 to 10 for their acoustic guitars, yeah. which I... I don't get that for a steel string. I really don't. You know, it, uh, I don't know how much. You even more... t- what about like a man's there? They're like 20 grand. Yeah, I know. I, I was getting there. <laughs> I was going up the, the thing, you know, it's like, there's a, there's a, there's a quality, not drop off, but it becomes so much more money for such a small amount of gain that it's like, so you, I, mean, I had, a, I had an interesting conversation, um, with a great guitar player recently, um, I won't name a name or whatever, but yeah, I'm we were kind, we were kind of taking um, talking about somebody had mentioned something about like the four thirty, what is it, four thirty two, like tuning to four thirty two. Oh you know? yeah, four thirty, yeah, whatever that, whatever is. it is, yeah, whatever that number is. But he was mentioning that um, you know quality luthiers actually tune the wood to four forty, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so if you're off of that, like the wood actually is was made to resonate yeah. at that yeah. pitch. You certainly aren't getting that under 10 grand, I don't think. No, <laughs> like, no. Probably not. Maybe there's, a, maybe there's some budding people that are doing that. But I think, so like to your, your question of like, well, is it worth it or whatever at a certain point? I think that once you get, I don't know what the number is. Maybe it's five. Let's just say five thousand. Maybe and it, over that you start to get people that are tinkering with mm-hmm. that kind of thought process. Like, oh, no, totally. oh does this wood resonate? Like, you know, where, where does that resonate or whatever to, to to find those special things so that when you do get that guitar, it might not look like anything special, but the person that built it was like a master's craftsman, whatever. Yeah. That, it's the Collins guitars. That was, a, I mean, I'll, I'll tell that story in a second, but to play off of that, when I was visiting a local ether in, in Medina, and he was go, leading me through his shop, you know, we're talking guitars like crazy, because duh, and he uh, was like, well, here's some tone woods, and he's like, let's listen to the difference of it. So he went through yeah. and like, he pulled out ones that, you know, he picked that were really resonant and, and certain things and just tapping them, and you can hear it, like, you can hear it before it goes on the instrument, you know, it, it's really surreal. And then you get the guys that like throw the wood down and with graphite over top of it and run different frequencies through it and see how much activity they can get on the, the actual thing and kind of pick the things like that. Um, and the, to kind of j- jump off that, when I went to like, it was actually at Woodsies in Kent. When I went to Woodsies in Kent once, and uh, this was probably, God, 2006, so like 15 years ago, but they had the high end room. Yeah. And, you know, they breed loves Santa Cruz, uh, no froggy bottoms. Uh, but uh, they had a Collins there, which out of all of them, you know, they had the high-end Martins and Taylors too. Uh, but like the Collins looked like it was the uh, not aesthetically pleasing of the bunch. And I was like, that's kind of weird. And I was like, how much is this thing? It was like $35,000, $4,000 15 years ago. And yeah, it's only gone up since then. It's like, that's insane. And then I played a chord on it and I was like, 
or that's completely worth it. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Just absolutely stunningly responsive and loud and full. I was just blown away. And that's why I've always like, I've loved those guitars because they're kind of that company that's like, yeah, we get that it doesn't look like a million bucks, but you ain't playing it for the looks, you know, right. unless you're a prince you, or something. Ever, that reminds me of the Manzer one. Because if you, if you ever look up people who actually have, have bought these things, and you usually have to wait a couple of years, I think, once you order yeah. one. And then you see some people, they get it, and they're like, it's not even, like, there's no, like, fanciness. And then, like, they're mad about it because they were expecting it to be, like, the most beautiful-looking instrument ever. And it it just looks like kind of like a plain guitar, you know. <laughs> and so they're just like, why would anybody pay, you know, it doesn't have, like, the fancy border. Like, there's no, there's no even, there's not even a crazy inlay or anything. You know, like, they're kind of going through yeah, the whole, yeah. I'm like, wow. You didn't do any research when you bought that. You just said. <laughs> exactly. You just wanted to throw a lot of money at a guitar. I, I heard that's the best, so I put, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's uh, that's the catch catch all right there. It's a matter of like what reputation is built into it. Like I watched the TED talk by Paul Reed Smith talking about how he builds his guitar. Yeah. And it, one of the great things he said is like, you're never going to put in like, he's like with any guitar you have, you're never going to put in a five and get a five out of it in terms of volume. He's like, that's not the way uh, guitars are the dying instrument. My words, not his, uh, like every note that you play is always going down. You're never going to yeah. be able to get louder. You know, it's a violin, you got the bow and, and so on. So he's like, yeah, our goal as luthiers is to make sure that you get as close to that five as humanly possible. So that if somebody pl- puts in a five, you, they get out a 4.8 or a 4.9. It's right. impossible to get the five, but you get as close as you can. And did some really cool stuff with like dropping different nut materials down and you could hear different ones ringing better. Even though it's through a sound system, he's like, you know, this is a graphite one. This is a tusk. This is a bone. And this is this. And he's like, we go with the, the graph. At that time, it was like, we go with the graphite because listen to that. You know, it's just yeah. really, oh, yeah, that's a, it's a good call. You know, so it's the, the intricacies, intricacies, I think, is what you pay for at the higher end, which kind of makes sense. You know, all that knowledge and, and, and tinkering, after, especially a guy like him who's been doing it for 30, 40 years and particularly in electric. That's why I was skeptical about his acoustics. You know, it's like I get the electric thing because that's his thing. But like 10,000 for an acoustic from an electric guy call me elitist which i i, I mean i paul knows who buys his guitars and they're not guitar players yeah. not that because they're amazing guitars but most like they're they're expensive guitars the ones yeah. he makes the most money on are not being bought by players <laughs> they're being bought by people who like very pretty things and yeah, he he can he can call it private stock or super private stock, and all of a sudden twenty thousand dollars, somebody will buy it. I'm like uh, twenty thousand would be cheap. I mean, those dragons go for thirty to fifty. Sure, yeah, and he, and he knows he knows that. I I think he knows that. Right? Don't get me wrong. And if somebody was like, "I'll buy you one," I'll be off. Take it. <laughs> yeah, right. Of course. You know, I'm gonna play the hell out of this. I'm not gonna just set it out to be pretty. I'm gonna I'm gonna use this thing. Um, yeah. I've always thought if I ever had like like a 10,000, you know, whatever, $20,000. Somebody gave me that or like, I want to play it till it breaks. I want it to just one day. It's just going to turn into a, like a powder (laughs) because I played it. (laughs) Like I actually put enough effort into playing it that I got the $20,000 worth out of it. Oh, because anything, anything less than that, then I'm like, I feel like I'm like not getting my money's worth out of it in a way. Yeah. And and not because it's a crappy instrument, but just, I just try to say like, I, if I'm going to spend 20 grand on an instrument, 
I better put like a hundred thousand hours on it, you know. Yeah, and, and I think that's the other thing too. Is just like, why would you pay that much? I get the collector's market mentality, but as a player, I was just like, I couldn't do that. I could like never do that. Be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna spend this much to collect this guitar and never touch it. It's like, how about no? <laughs> how about I'm going to use the hell out of it? Of course, now I'm looking at it like I do have a vintage. Like this is a vintage guitar, which makes me feel really freaking old. You know, because I bought it in 94, which I'd never think it was going to be like, what is that? I was sitting at almost 30 years. So it's like, really? That's crazy to me. So, you know, in in 94, have you ever thought about this? Hendrix would have, the time of Hendrix before he died. Like, so when he died, I think it was at 1971, 72, something like that. Um, I might be wrong. Maybe it was 70. Anyway, let's say it's 70 just to be safe. That that, that would be 24 years from 1994. Do you know that it's been longer since since now to that? That's been 28 years or something, 27 years. So when we were when we were in the early 90s, that gap between us and like Hendrix and like Zeppelin and the Beatles and stuff was less than it is now from us to like Nirvana. That's crazy. I remember joking around when we first heard Metallica on the radio, like my brother and I, and be like, someday this is going to be on the oldies station. How <laughs> weird will that be? And now it's, it's, it's true. It's like the stuff off of the Black album is all over the place on the, the older, quote-unquote, stuff. Yeah, that's, is, what, um, that's 30 years old now. That's insane. That, 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 Which like, is, again, older <laughs> than yeah. Hendrix was at the time when we were... You know, in middle school, high school, whatever. Which, ugh, and the technological leaps and everything else, it's it's crazy. But yeah, that's that's nuts. I I, I love the high end guitars. Like I've seen some Paul Reed Smith private stocks that were like, yeah, I would totally drop that money if I could. Yeah, right. Like, totally, because they had one that was like a lefty seven string fan fret single cutaway thing that was just like. Well, who the hell bought that, and how do I become their friend? Yeah, right. <laughs> this type of thing, and uh, it's like that's just that is just gorgeous and really stinking cool, um, you know. And, and and clearly, if it's a private stock, they probably he's like, yeah, I want the whole thing up front, especially since it's lefty, you know. And, and that's it. You know, maybe we can dive into that a little bit of a rant. The manufacturing for lefties now compared to where it was when we were in high school is hugely different. Like you can just about get anything, almost anything left-handed. Now I'm, there's an asterisk on that with like the exception of Strandberg's. They don't do those lefty runs anymore. And those things, every time I see those show up on reverb, it's like gone. Yeah. with yeah, else- Basically any of the like headless lefty things aside from Kiesel. And, and it's I think Manny- practically hard to get it. It's practically Mahan. impossible. Like the one that starts with an M, the Polish guys. Uh, Can you get those? Yeah. I was Ish. this close to getting one. It was a lefty seven string, you know, brand new. It, I mean, it was like 2500 bucks, so that's why I didn't. I'm like, nah, yeah, so, I, so, like, I, I'm on a few of the, like, Facebook groups with left-handed, extended, whatever, and yeah, then there'll be, some, be the some run. You know, there'll be some run. And, yeah. and they've had those over the years, but a lot of the ones that people are like, well, I'd like to do that again, and then there's... I swear, it seems like every couple months there's a letter from one of the manufacturers, and they're like, "We're not doing lefties anymore." Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, too many people like 
put money down and then they bailed and then uh, or they didn't pay so that, like i guess most of them are giving up at this point and even like paul reed smith is like he doesn't seem to like making lefties I mean, they still got the, their lower end CE yeah. or SE customs, and I, I don't even want to say that's too much lower end because I've heard nothing but really good things about them in terms of value. They're like for sure. what you get, the money you pay, it's a great guitar, um, which says a lot about Paul Smith's uh, control. Yeah, they're, uh, they're made in the same place as the Schecters and ESPs, yeah. I think. Which for now real. those those imports are all like really high end. Like they're nice guitars. I mean, not, maybe not high end. But they're really nice guitars, especially for the money. That thousand yes. dollar range or whatever. Exactly. So go back onto that price point. Like yeah. for the thousand dollar range, I would immediately tell somebody, grab a Schecter, grab an Ibanez, grab a PRS, or you can get it in that price range. Cause yeah, like, great... I, like this guitar I was playing the other night. Yep. Yeah. Great guitar. Yep. I mean, it's got a multi piece neck. Like for under a thousand bucks, that's really freaking good. Uh, yeah, just like the construction's nice. And like I said, I. Might be nicer than the carbon I have, I think, which was a lot more money than that. So, how long ago before the how long before the Schecter did you have the carbon? Well, the carbon is a two thousand from two thousand. Okay, and, and I think Schecter- I've, had, I've had the Schecter five years, maybe. Okay, so it was a long. And actually, and actually, the carbon's gotten better. Like over time, it gets better. Now, you just did a bunch of work on yours, your carbon. Yeah, the carbon, the one of the the pickups were sounding kind of wimpy, mm-hmm. um, and not the good kind of way because I like low output pickups in general. Mm-hmm. Um, your video went out, but I can still hear you. Oh, yeah, I can hear you. It's like my USB went out or something. Oh, that's weird. Huh. Well, <laughs> at least I can... This has been like, what? Is it, you had the, the bad gig technical problems, uh, the technical problems with the Helix beforehand, and then the audio problems before we started the podcast, and now that you disappeared down the video USB problem. Okay. Thing. Does yeah, it sound the, sound the same and everything's... Yeah, everything's okay. the same. That was strange. All right, that is weird. Um, yeah, so the carbon, so I decided I was gonna, I, I just changed out all the wiring inside. So I, I took a, all the, the old, they kind of use this really thin wiring there. It wasn't really very good wire. So I got like kind of the, the vintage cloth wire or whatever. It's a little bit like, um, bigger gauge wire too. And I rewired it, made shorter runs and cleaner. It was all cleaner. Like everything was more clean changed the capacitors and stuff and it made a nice improvement on that guitar and actually fixed the pots they were kind of being weird and so just one of those things apparently you can't just play guitar especially electric guitar you got to be good at like fixing everything and that kind of like segues us into our whole other discussion that we wanted to talk about with guitar repairs and what every guitar player should know from like I'd say, like, within the first year of playing, things that everybody should be familiar with in terms of their guitar. And obviously, like, the first thing that comes to mind is changing your strings. Yeah. Like, it seems so rudimentary, especially since I'm teaching. But I remember I was subbing for somebody at a pretty big music school here. And, like, this kid came in, and the strings were, like, you know, the 
almost black. Not completely black, but just like totally rusted out and everything else. And I'm like, dude, you gotta. And he was playing on a PRS, not like a cut, not like the high end yeah, custom, right. one of the better SEs. I'm like, dude, you, you gotta change your strings. And he's like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll just take it in the shop and have them do it. I'm like, you don't know how to change your strings. And then he said, I will never forget what this kid said to me because I, it took every ounce of me not to just slap him in the face. <laughs> but he's like, yeah, I, I, I don't do all that type of stuff. I'm a player man, not a, not a tech guy. And I was Smart. just like, you moron. <laughs> it's like saying I don't fill my car with gas because I'm a driver. It's like this is par for the course. Everybody does this. You got to know how to change your strings. That's, that's just rude. guitar 101. Here it is. Here's how they're tuned. This is how you put new ones on to make sure that it's going well. I had another kid at another place whose strings were literally black from the amount of dirt. I asked him when was the last time he changed his strings, and it was three and a half years. I, I, was like, few, I probably have a few guitars like that. Yeah, but this kid played it. Like, yeah. this can't be. So I'm like, buy new strings. I will restring this string for you. And I did, and he's like, holy cow, it sounds so much better. I'm like, yeah, you're pickups were basically getting rust in them from these things you know what do you expect you know and uh so outside of strings and restringing uh basic things what do you think it's a good question so i mean maybe those people are smart they're not learn how to do all this stuff but i think like yeah if you ever wanted to be like a gigging guitarist or whatever like you're going to save a lot of money if you learn how to do a few things. Changing the strings is one of them. Um, and then all, that all the kind of things like some people, I, you, you find that they don't realize they can they can mostly change the action on the guitar. Um, and every guitar is a little different. Like this guitar, um, without getting the truss rod thing yet, you know, you can change the height of this bridge by changing these screw things. Um other guitars like you need a little wrench or whatever and you can change the height of that so um i remember seeing a thing with stanley jordan if you're not familiar with are you familiar with stanley yeah 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 so he does like he does two-hand tapping stuff and he was talking about in his video he's very picky but he's like just like one quarter turn on the you know the bridge or whatever to lower just this much can like completely change the way the guitar feels for him and I, th- I think there's some truth to that. Um, oh, totally. I mean, we're dealing with, like, watching that repair channel on uh, yeah. YouTube. He's dealing with, like, thousands of an inch all the right. time. And it's like, it, that makes a significant difference in the playing. He's like, I just lowered this from, like, seven... What is this thing? He's like, yeah, this was seven sixty-fourths on the bass string, and I brought it down to five sixty-fourths. you know? And right. he's like, that's a definite, much, much more comfortable guitar. And it, like I knew that those adjustments made that much of a difference, but like to hear him talk, the way that he talked about it consistently about how we're dealing with fractions of an of a, fractions of a fraction of an inch in terms of adjustments on anything, totally changes how well the guitar plays. Yeah, there's it's a balance though, right? Because the the lower your action, the you do lose something, I think, in the tone side of things. Oh, um, of course. I mean, it, it, it does. It's not quite as loud, and maybe not as resonant. But you don't fret out on notes as much. It's kind of like you have to find that balance that's good for you. And, yeah. and that's a very personal thing to an extent. You sure. know, I mean, I, I, of course, I haven't found anybody that's like, I love the action as high as it'll go. 
Like I've never seen somebody. Well, like that. I've seen. I I don't know Unless how much they like say they like it. Maybe, <laughs> but you know, like I can get it for slide guitar. It makes sense, but for like anything fretted wise, you don't you don't want a high action. There's just no way. Um, it, that, have you, so that reminds me of Danny Gatton, though. I this is a yeah, question. Know so you know Danny Gatton. So like his action. I mean, I don't know how high it was, but it was not low. Okay. And he was like, because it just doesn't sound good when I put it too low. There you go. He said, I, he's, yeah, I wish it was lower. It'd be way easier to play. Yeah. yeah. And he, he was an incredible player. So yeah, like, yeah, unreal. Yeah. Argue with that. You know, if he's complaining, but he's doing that, shut up and just play your guitar. Right. Uh, you know, and that, there's always a trade off with that, with the, the, particularly with resonance and with the, uh, in volume versus playability. On electric guitars, I'm more of a, and, and maybe this is because I don't play uh, electric as my primary instrument. I'm more of a get it as low as it can go. Like just yeah. make it easy to play. I don't really care too much. And this one is actually the tailor that I have here is ridiculously low for an acoustic guitar. Like it plays as good as my electric, if not better. And there's 13. Yeah. It's like there's, but it's so easy to play. Um, my nylon strengths though are significantly higher than this. And, yeah, but that's also like I don't play those plugged in, right? At all. So yeah, I was, it, I was telling you that at my Ramirez, I was like, it's really good to play it. It's a good, and it, I can get it to sound pretty good most of the time. But you definitely like, especially in the higher frets, it's a lot easier to like not quite get the note down. You know, you don't you don't get anything for free on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you I kind of telling me that about Parker flies too. And they're like, it's a very unforgiving instrument. It, like they're easy to play, but they're not one to cover your mistakes. Maybe that's more of a piezo thing than the Parker fly itself. Because I had a Nightfly way back and flipped the strings. Yeah. You know, uh, with yeah, it. that was that's the guitar I always wanted a Parker fly, and they never made them lefty. Those are pretty stinking cool. They're still being made. They're just not being sold in the states anymore. Yeah, I don't think they're not being made by Ken Parker either. Oh, okay. Either way, those were really cool when they first came out. Way ahead yeah, of their Yeah, it's kind of... He got... He did the Fender thing where he sold it to Fender, I think. And then they, like... You know, they changed the brand and whatever. Yeah, that's too bad. Man, he makes some fascinating guitars now. Have you heard about... He basically... I've heard from various people that he's, like, solved the archtop thing. Um, and you can use bronze strings on it too. And they came up with a new pickup that'll work for it. And the guitar like almost looks like we'll have to find a picture, but it it doesn't look like it would work in a way. <laughs> like it's this very interesting shape. Um, but it like apparently it's super resonant. You know, this is like a probably a thirty thousand dollar guitar. <laughs> I just looked one up, and one of them is going for twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, they're expensive. That was a nineteen ninety one The other ones are uh, are around the two thousand dollar mark. That's not bad. Yeah. So uh, all arch tops. Yep. Yeah, they're beautiful, stunning. Uh, but yeah, so he's he's still innovating and like coming up with cool new gadgets. You still got the same headstock too. That's strange. Oh, I love that headstock too. It just looks so out of place on an arch top. It still looks cool, but it's like yeah. I wouldn't. But that again, that's the whole cliche parts of a guitar. Um, yeah, I've never cared too much about headstocks. It's funny. I, I'm I'm really kind of partial. I think it's because the first guitar I ever played 
was four and two, the Gretsch Corvette. Really? So you I've like always really liked that. What's that? Is your Brian Moore at four and two? I think that's and the, the Brian Moore is a four and two. And then this was, ironically, it's right here. This is the first guitar I ever played, which is this Gretsch Corvette. It's like a '60s Gretsch Corvette. It was my dad's. Oh, nice. But yeah, four and two. You'll see. Yep. What's funny? This is a righty, right? But I always played it yeah. lefty. And what's funny is the the Brian Moore has the four on the top. Like this is the opposite of this one. <laughs> Which is cool, which is what I would pick. Like, if I ever yeah. had the Timmer signature, it would totally be like four and two. Just because. Hmm. Uh, I like it. I like the standard acoustic layout and obviously the classical one. And like the, the Fender headstock is okay. I cannot stand the reverse headstock, though. That oh, really? just drives me visually crazy. I, but the, I, I don't want to say it's growing on me, but half of me is wondering if that extra scale length and string tension for the low E is yeah. great for drop tunings. Like that has to really kind of help a little bit. I'm guessing. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. yeah, I've always wondered about that too. You would think it would make a thing. I guess I don't have any guitars with reverse headstocks. It's kind of I don't really think about it too much. You know, I don't really like the real pointy headstocks. That's yeah, that's my, I, like that's the my favorite. type of thing. It's, no, it's I don't. Explore. You mean the triangle one? I don't mind yeah. that so much because it's sort of classic. I mean the like pointy like shredder. Like, poke your eye oh, out. Oh, the ESP or the Jacksons? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm okay. not crazy about that look. Yeah. Um, I really like the headless. To me, personally, <laughs> I think they're great. You know, I really like that type of setup. I think it's a cool little innovation as well, just to kind of, like, move it. I mean, we're getting off topic from the repair thing, so we'll... That's all right. <laughs> bring that, yeah, we can bring it back around. But, like, the, the I like that moving forward of guitar technology because this the steinberger did it like way back and it was a fad for a while you know but as good as holdsworth was it wasn't like breaking into like the mainstream where everybody had to have one yeah so you see them in those like 80 those 80s videos for a while there right it seemed like a lot of people had those and then that died off and now i think when strandberg brought it back it really really got a lot more of a foothold you know now, what happened though is there was a patent on it that's why no one ever made them so when uh, that patent expired yeah. on the yeah. the the pieces that's when you started seeing everyone start making that's when Kiesel started doing it and strandberg and everybody else started doing it because those patents ran out that makes financial sense yeah. <laughs> oh, okay i can do it that way you know um a, and then an open source guitar design so i you ever seen the trans trim? I know we're way oh, off yeah. topic now. The the one that actually like transposes when you yeah. Michael Hedges used it on that. Uh, Man, that's so cool. That is, there's a new kid that's doing that now. That yeah. uh, Alex uh, Mitsikoff or whatever. Oh, Makatech. The lefty slappy tappy kid. Oh no, never mind. Different yeah, person. He's, uh, I'm gonna butcher. Also, his I, name. Was, I thought you were gonna say Makachak Makachak, which he's. He plays Strandberg. That's what I was... No, this is an acoustic kid. It's a George Michael Careless Whisper thing. It's a band singers on it. Let's not put that on. Yeah. Let's <laughs> Careless Whisper. Let's see. Where is it again? Who is this? Uh, Alexander Misko. So he's got like the bander tuners on it. He's got, uh, and then 
Uh, he's in that video. He's got the bander t- tuners. You mean the, the, the like the G benders and stuff? Those things? No, this is a, it's a literal banjo tuner. Oh, banjo is, tuner. Okay, sorry. Semi locking thing that it's it's open until you tune it to pitch, and then you lock it, and it gives you a half step of motion whenever you you click it or or turn it. And uh, he's got them all on the headstock, which uh, I mean, those aren't cheap. Those are like two hundred bucks a pop for those uh, things. The last time I checked the price, which was probably about six months ago, because, you know, always shopping for gear. Um, and then, like, he just had a video of his like, new prototype guitar, and it's got, uh, like, a, the the tailpiece, like your Eastman, but it's got, like, switches on it, kind of like the Man Ring uh, thing uh, with the hip shots. So he's got it down here and on the headstock. So that sounds like a lot of work, though. That's, like, a bunch of little switches. Uh, Yeah. Except yeah. where the where the trans trams just like play any play any chord and then yep exactly. yep that's exactly what Hedges was doing with it. There's some cool tracks on that that yeah. use it, but he also had it on an electric harp guitar to tell you how out there where out there it was. You know, he had an electric harp guitar with a trans tram on it. It's like, what else do you need? <laughs> <laughs> of course. You know, you need that to fall asleep when you're driving. So, uh, dark humor on that one. But, um, he, uh, like, that was a really, really cool setup. Really cool setup. And now this other kid's doing that type of thing, and it's like, oh, that's kind of impressive. So that's uh, very nice with that setup. And then back to repairs real quick. (laughs) So obviously lowering the action is one thing. And I think a lot of people get scared with messing with that part of the guitar. And I find my level of fear in terms of messing with a guitar has everything to do with how much I paid for it. Like, yeah, so, I mean, as far as these things, though, like, so, maybe a slight backstory, how I even got into any of these repairs. And I I say this because I, I used to help Adam with some of his things yeah. back in the day. And other people, too. All kinds of people. Um but the reason was when I first, when I was 19, I moved to New York City and then I worked in this music store and I played a lot, but I really didn't know, I really didn't know anything about like setting guitars up or anything. Um, I had been playing for 10 years, but like I didn't really have a teacher so much and like, I mean, I kind of did, but it was never about like, um, I was good enough by the time I had a teacher that we never talked about like, is the action low or anything like that? Like kind of like past that stage because i was playing well enough so i never knew even how to get low action or anything um just kind of like went with the the winds (laughs) sometimes the guitar was buzzy and sometimes it was really hard to play (laughs) some notes came out and some notes didn't and just kind of bared with it i could change strings though but anyway i went and i worked at this music store and the one guy there was really good at doing all these setups and people would bring their guitars in and do setups. So he taught me how to do a lot of it or all of it really. Um, so he started getting really good at like, well, how low can you go and how straight can you get the neck? And I got mm-hmm. to try on hundreds and hundreds of guitars, um, including my own, you know? So the, these kind of things like changing the height of this, or there's not much you can do to mess your guitar up. You could lose some screws um, you might break your string if it's on there because you went too high or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can't really, you're really not going to do any like real damage to your instrument. At least I've never seen anyone do it. Like, what's the worst you could do if you, like, you go too low or too high? Like, it's not going to really do anything. 
you could put this in the wrong place and the pitch is off, but like that, you just move it to the right place. This actually, this piece will move kind of like a violin. Yeah. Um, so you could get your intonation or whatever. But anyway, um, the the part that people get scared about is the truss rod. Yep. So if you're not familiar, there's a metal rod that goes through the neck to really just deal with um, weather changes. So when it gets dry out, the wood kind of shrinks. When it gets more um, humid out, the wood the wood kind of gets bigger. And that'll actually make the neck either go this way or this way. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a metal rod that goes through and um, it'll straighten the neck out for you or help you straighten the neck out. But the, the reason that people get scared about it is you can over crank it mm-hmm. or you can unscrew it all. Yep. <laughs> so if you keep unscrewing, it gets real loose. The, the thing is though, like, if you're cranking it and it gets really hard to turn, like stop I'm cranking not. it. <laughs> yeah. So time to stop. <laughs> Even if it doesn't get to the place where you want it to, you just maybe sometimes you have to deal with it. Um, Cause especially like depending on what the wood of the neck is, you might still have a bit of a bow or whatever as you're tightening it. And the same with loosening it. Like if it gets so loose that it just feels like it's flimsy on there. And it's like any screw. It's really just a, like a like a little um, nut or whatever that's on there. Um, if you if you were doing that on a regular screw, and it started to get loose, you would know. Oh, okay, I'm getting close to the end because it's not yeah. the whole piece isn't on there anymore. Um, same deal. So if you got to that point, just stop. <laughs> um, the other thing. So when you're when you're tight. So when it, when you have a bow and you tighten it. Um, it'll actually come to shape pretty quick. Like you can kind of see it really quick, but if it's a back bow where, where the, where it's like hitting the strings in the middle, it takes, sometimes it takes like a day or so for that to settle. Mm-hmm. So you, you, if you, if you loosen it too much, you, you come back the next day and then you have a bow kind of thing. And you, you sort of just have to play with it, but it's really easy to do. And you usually don't have to turn it that much. Yeah, um, that, everything that I've seen goes like maybe an eighth to a quarter of a turn. That's it. And then you gotta let it settle for a bit and see what happens. And by settle, it means like 20 minutes to an hour, let it do its thing. And I'm guessing on the outside with an hour. Probably depending on the weather or whatever else, you could even take a day and let it just sit yeah. off the side and see what happens. And that that's the other thing too. I, again, pulling from all these videos is letting it uh, take the time to adjust will let you see what you really did. But if you're expecting instant results, especially with wood, you're always going to play against something that's going to be changing by the time you actually get to it. Yeah. Like, and get to playing it. Um, and, like, this guy, this Tom Woods, I think is his name. Uh, he's in Ontario, Canada. But, like, he's on, he does tons of neck reset, like, major, major work that I'm yeah. looking at, I'm like just buy another guitar you know <laughs> he'll take these like 1930s off brand uh that were big at the time but they're not Gibson or Fender or, or Martin so who cares you know now they're they're not just because they're vintage doesn't mean that they have they're worth a lot of money they have to have a certain name on them and you know it's like he'll get guys sending them to him to do like a full workout and he'll take the backs off, and you look at it, and it's like, oh, my Lord, that is a mess in there. And, and most of the messes are done from extra guys trying to repair it. Uh, oh, sure. Yeah, 
So that that's kind of the well, other things too. Like if if you broke a tuner or something, I mean, they're really it's really just a screw yeah. on here, you know. So you just you got to find another one, you unscrew it, you put a new one in. So I feel like those kind of repairs should just be sort of natural. You just do what you got to do. The the other side of things, though, if you're if you're gigging an electrical guitarist, I. I have a hard time believing that you don't have to learn how to solder at some point. Um, at least for me, it seems like I'm always fixing stuff. Like I know, like on the the Carbon Seven, which is, is upstairs, I think the the input jack, the way that they made it, like always gets loose. Like the way that the style that they used, and so many times, and it's that means inside it gets loose, and there's. You know, like, oh, there's a wire on or something, and that wire keeps doing that, and eventually it falls off. Yep. So then I'm like, well, I guess every time that happens, I could go take it to a repair shop, and then they'll solder that back. But So the reason I got in the soldering originally, which was pretty early on, was for something like that. I was like, gosh, i got to fix this stupid thing. Um, and I didn't even – I had no idea what I was doing. I just trying to kind of figured it out. Yeah. Um, and and it, to – uh, just watch a YouTube video. I don't think YouTube was out when I first. Well, if it was, it, eh, it probably wasn't. wasn't around to watch YouTube when I first started soldering. So you just kind of tinker. But now you could easily watch a YouTube video, probably five minutes, and make you a better uh, solderer than I am. Um, but then eventually, like you, you would, you might want to buy like new pickups or something. Like I actually yeah. just put a new pickup in here. Yeah, was it yesterday or the day before? Yeah, I, I never liked it. Um, which. These guitars are a pain in the butt to change stuff like that. Oh, how did you get, in, get into that? Like exactly, exactly. Apples. Yeah, we could maybe we could talk about. It. Yeah, you have to use the apples. Oh. I I almost made like a rookie mistake too. Well, to do it the right way, you would take all the electronics off, I think, and then redo everything. But uh, I almost did it too, where I almost unscrewed this. I actually unscrewed it and I was going to pull it through. And then I thought to myself, <laughs> cause I've never done, I've never done a hollow body, like anything. Yeah. Um, I'm like, I don't think I'm going to be able to get that back in that hole. I'm not sure I can actually pull that off. Yeah. And unfortunately the way that they, they had done these, these two are like the wire is the wires between these are just long enough between mm-hmm. these two. So there was no give. Because what I was thinking of doing was taking the pickup out and then just taking this this guy out, kind of pull him through here, uh, and then desolder the one that was there or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I actually did take these two off when I first did that, which was then a huge pain to put them back in. But what I ended up doing was actually just splitting the wire that was there before and then <laughs> splicing it. And actually, even to do that, when you take this pickup thing off, I had to go, like, put that in the hole so I had enough give Yeah. to do it. Anyway, it worked out. And I was like, after, after I unscrewed these and I almost, I'm like, oh, my gosh, what a dumb mistake. But that that's just kind of, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a tinker for sure. And that's so, how you learn. You, yeah, you just learn. how you learn. <laughs> it's like, I probably shouldn't have done that. Yeah, I was like, 
<laughs> oh man, I was so close. Like I said, I unscrewed this. So all I had to do is just push my finger on it real hard, and it would have popped through. And I was thinking, and the other thing too is actually that wouldn't even have helped me because there's a there was a wire that goes to here for the ground. Yeah, I was gonna say the, the, the ground. So I would have had to like. I don't, uh, I don't know. I, there must be special tools for it. I didn't really look it up. There must, uh, like special on YouTube. The yeah. amount of tools he has. Yeah, there's probably some special tool that lets you like help you get it back to the right spot or whatever. But I don't have those things, and I don't really have that many tools in a lot of ways. I'm just more of a. Oh, I have something here that'll work. Actually, it's funny. I use these, which these little tweezers. I don't know if you can oh, see these. I mean, like the the tweezers that I use for my fingernails. Uh-huh. I don't even know what this was from. I don't remember There's now. Two between them. I actually, started. I think this is from my soldering iron uh, nice. kit that I had. But I actually used that to like go in here and pick stuff out. Yeah, careful! Be- don't you drop that in there. <laughs> because uh, some of the other wrenches I had were just a little too big for these holes. And this yeah. this isn't so like if I miss, it doesn't like poke a hole in the guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I just like oh, I had this around, so I used it. Um. So yeah, then just but this this is kind of a hard guitar to do it in. Other guitars, yeah, you end up changing pickups out, um, changing pots, resoldering because something got loose. Um, and this isn't even getting into like amps, like that's a whole another. Oh yeah, that's um, a whole whole other huge field in terms of uh, yeah. repair. It, yeah, like break- I, the Mesa, I broke off a couple knobs because I had it in my my car and like I moved or something and it knocked some of the knobs off. And it actually broke them at the stem, so I had to change the pots out. And that was interesting. But, um, yeah, just the soldering iron thing really helps on those kind of things. You just kind of look how it was done before and then redo it. So I think, in conclusion, with, like, what things a guitar player should know within the first year, clearly changing the strings, then maybe some slight action adjustments. Oh, and keep an acoustic guitar humidified. Oh, really? I I never do. I mean, you're you're getting lucky. I mean, this guy, uh, you can't see it anymore because I got a chick. Well, maybe you can. Do the crack by the bridge. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was the the rookie mistake of, oh, I can leave it in my car in the winter. It'll be fine. I mean, I've done it countless times before. So I left it in my car for the winter, and then I brought it in the house, and I just left it there. You know, it's like, whatever. Then I opened it up to a nice big crack. I mean, that happened in one fell swoop. All the way down. It's glued now. It ain't going anywhere. But uh, that the, I took it in the repair guy, and he's like, "Yeah, you, you didn't humidify it." Yeah, I'm like, no. I, I remember seeing those too. I guess I don't have. Well, most of my I mean, guitars you, are never in cases, like ever. Well, you 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 have how many acoustics? One. I have three, kind of. There's two really crappy ones. Okay. And then the Ramirez. Well, honestly, the really crappy ones can take a hell of a beating. They're, they're generally not like solid wood throughout, so it's like yeah. plywood to crack that much unless you put huge amounts of effort into Maybe. it. Maybe. Uh, because, I mean, the, there's no wood grain, no wood grain seam to, for it to run down. You know, oh, most sure. of the cracks happen because of the, the weather, but it's also like it's going to happen in a, a seam somewhere in the wood, it's usually, which, I mean, clearly the most obvious one is right in the middle because that's just where it is at. But anywhere else where the, you can follow the wood grain, that's what, that's what a crack does. It's like, oh, look at this wonderful wood grain. It would be a shame if somebody cracked it, you know, <laughs> and it just goes, you know, and whichever. Um, 
And even like this, when I first got it done, I took it to that same luthier that gave me the tour of his shop and did all the tone woods. And he looked at it. He's like, it's just cosmetic. He's like, it looks bad, but it it's done. You know, it's not going to get any worse. And so I let it go for another 10 years. You know, I still humidified it, but it just had a crack, whatever. Sure. And then last year, I finally decided, you know what? I'm just going to get that fixed and get it all fixed up so that it holds together. Because I noticed that it started to split after the bridge. Oh, interesting. And that was like, yeah, I should probably deal with that. So how do they fix it? Glue and wood dust. Oh, okay. You know, it didn't do anything with the bracing or anything underneath. Uh, so it was basically like, you know, you put the wood dust in, you put a super glue on it with tape on the side so it doesn't, like, run into the top. And that's pretty much it. Like, the guy that was doing the uh, the repair videos, he gets really elaborate. And he's like, sometimes you can't even tell you I've done the repair. Sometimes. Other times, there's just no way to avoid it. You know, you can't, you're, you're yeah. talking about matching paint that's 20 years old or, or a slack that's 20, been in the sun for that. It's just, it's just not going to happen. You can get really close, but it looks like there's just like a darker stain in one area. There's no way around it. Um, but he does it like depending on the size. He's like, I, he has like spruce dust and rosewood dust and mahogany dust that he'll just like put in there and then do a dab of super glue, wait till it dries, put more dust in, dabs of super glue, and just kind of like build it that way and once it's up over the top he'll take like a razor that he like custom tapes and just scrapes it off and makes it so it's level and then refinishes it and it goes from there you know it all depends on whether i think the big difference with crack repair is it is it structural or is it just cosmetic yeah because some stuff is just cosmetic it might look bad but it's fine for the guitar other yeah. stuff you know it's like no the guitar is coming apart that's it like when the bridge is pulling up or something like that sure my brother just sent me a picture of a guitar. He's like, is this fixable? <laughs> and it was a classical guitar that somebody tried to string up with steel strings. The bridge was no longer attached. And I'm like, technically, yes, it can be fixed. <laughs> but just buy, spend 150 bucks and buy another classical. Yeah, right. that not worth the, I mean, you're going to spend $700 getting the thing fixed. You know, because I've, I've fixed a raised bridge on another classical that I had. And that was like 50 bucks. You know, because he's like, oh, yeah, it's not pulling. It's just he's like, it's just barely raising. We'll just throw some hide glue underneath it, clamp it shut, wait a day. You'll be fine. It, it was like 50 bucks turnaround and whatever. It didn't matter. But like all the way off with like wood splinters and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, no, that that's going to be a lot more work. Plus, you need to put it exactly where it was. Yeah. And otherwise, you're throwing off the intonation and everything else of the guitar. So it sure. was like it was a lot of whoopsies, this is no longer usable it, as if it was in a usable state, but to, you can make it a hell of a lot worse. Um, you know, I had a, I had a carbon acoustic. It got stolen actually. So that's why I don't have it anymore. But, uh, the, well, the top though was like coming, the whole top like bubbled up a bit. Before, and actually I bought it used and it was, that already had been like that. And I, never gave it back and i don't know if i just didn't really notice it at first and by the time i i just thought maybe the setup wasn't very good and i was going to get to it kind of thing yeah. but then eventually like once you got the neck straight or whatever the the strings would still be like this high you know or whatever <laughs> um, and when you looked there was no, the way the the neck was coming in it was coming in at this like angle that made it impossible yeah no... so the strings would come up and there was there's like no way to get the action lower um 
That's why he does a ton of neck resets. I've watched a lot. I can't do it, but... Well, I guess I don't think it was the neck that was off. I think what happened, because I was reading about it, is that sometimes the tops will actually, like, kind of curve on top. It's coming away from its bracing. Yeah, like I don't, it like swells. So he's. I guess what happens sometimes it just gets too humid at some point, and then it dry, like deforms and. Sh- yeah. By the way, I'm just going to interject this. And when it comes to buying your guitars, the humidifier does two things: it humidifies and it keeps it at a constant state. So it's not like it's going to overly humidify your guitar. The control thing. You know, you want it on fifty percent all the time. That's great. It's like I'm less worried about humidifying my guitar in the summer than I am during the winter, especially since it gets so cold here. But at the same time, if it's a really wet summer, I keep the humidifier in it just to make sure that it's soaking up any of the outside stuff, you know. You're talking about those like little like rubbery ones? Yeah, just the Oasis ones with the, you know, chicklets in the middle. (laughs) I think where we live now, like at least compared to Erie and Buffalo, <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit more friendly here. Like I, I do notice the swings. Um, it gets drier in the the winter, and it's more humid in the summer. I think like the past two weeks were the driest that it's ever been, though. Like when it dropped below thirty two for like that week there. Yeah. It got cold. Oh yeah, it got super dry because it was, yeah, it was just so cold. Yeah. Um, but I didn't like my guitars. Basically, didn't change the last week or two. They did change originally back in like Novemberish time, and I adjust. I've adjusted them as I played them, but uh, and then in the and then like somewhere around like May or something, it seems like I have to do another main adjustment. But it's not too bad. I feel like though when I was in Erie, it was like all the time. Yeah, <laughs> like it was a mess. Was or like in New York, or New York City too. When I was there, like the always. When I was in Buffalo, it. it was every six months. You know, basically, I did it in the in September and in the May area, like somewhere in there. It would be like boom, okay, or not May. You know, whenever the weather stopped. Well, if it stops snowing in Buffalo, it's probably June. But <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, it's just the way that it is. Uh, whenever the seasons were definitively into the next thing is when I would take it in to get a setup. And there was a guy that uh, was the father of the shop that. I shot. I would always go to Jackson Music, and the guy, the not the. I don't know if he owned it. And his son, no, I think his son started the music store, and he was just doing repairs. But I would always yeah. go to him for the repairs, you know. And that's why, you know, I still want that Paul Reed Smith lefty, well blue, because I bought a right-handed Paul Reed Smith like before Paul Reed Smith was actually its thing, and uh, it had him set it up, and it was a great setup. It was a great guitar, and I'm still kicking myself, you know. 30 years down the line. Oh, so that was a righty. I didn't, I didn't, know, yeah, I didn't realize it was that. A and it, I mean, it, the, the double cutaway on it with the horns was pretty high up. Like it was around yeah. the 20th. So it didn't really bug me at all. Um, you know, it, it, it was a little annoying. The top, the shorter horn, like digging into my sternum. It was kind of, what, what guitar did you start on? I don't think I've ever asked you that. I, it was an acoustic. I want to say it was a, Fender, but I don't really remember. Like it, it yeah. was, uh, my brother was playing, and then the guy that we both worked for at the time, we worked for a campground. Uh, he had an extra guitar laying around, and like he was coming over to show my brother how to do some stuff, and we were all kind of hanging out. And then he was like, "Oh, you know, I got another guitar. You like it that way? I'll just flip the strings for you." So he like did a lefty thing on it, and so I started playing it that way because I was like. 
I'm more comfortable this way, you know, in yeah. retrospect, you know, I don't know if I would have stuck with it. It had he not changed the strings just because sure. it was so awesome to go the other way. Uh, so maybe it's his fault that I'm like this, <laughs> but regardless, um, think so how rich you would be. Yeah. Yeah. And I started on that. And then like my first electric was like this Chinese knockoff, uh, Les Paul. Cause I was in love with Les Pauls and Zeppelin and it was a right-handed one that I flipped the strings on, you know, I just didn't care and did that. Yeah. I didn't even have an amp. I just ran it through my stereo, you know, <laughs> it's like this, right. my parents stereo that I wasn't even sure if it could do the thing, <laughs> like handle it. It didn't matter. I just needed something to play through. Uh, and then I, uh, we started out with those little, you know, $40 battery powered nine volt practice amps that look like a Marshall stack. Yeah, wearing sure. Me and my cousin in the same house, just walking around playing our guitars, and drove everybody crazy. And I got my f- first big amp, uh, Fender Ultra Chorus. That's what it was. It wasn't a Super Chorus, Ultra Chorus, even better than Super. So right. <laughs> it, it's a, I remember drooling over that thing for months, and my parents got it for me for Christmas. It was pretty stinking. That nice. was, um, and then I can't remember. I think I had a, a lefty Ibanez. RG 570 and then let's see from there I mean I know I had a Fender Strat like a, a Fender well you had off- a lefty 5G or RG 570 the Japanese black, one yeah it was a black one it had the, the, the humbucker single humbucker with the like the, not the low pro edge but the low pro uh, Floyd trem on it and uh, I had that and then I had a that Parker. Uh, it's, I'm trying to go in order. So it was that, and then I think I got a Fender. I, I want to say it's the Ultra Strat, but it was like the, the, Super Strat, the one that came with the lace sensors that were like the, the hot stuff at the time. Yeah. You know, rolling nut and everything else. I bought that, flipped it lefty. You know, had that for a while, flipped it back, bought a Parker Nightfly. Same idea, redid the nut. You know, got it lefty, and then put it back. Bought the Paul Reed Smith. Uh, kept that for a, a good amount of time, and then I got it Dream Theater, started doing the seven string stuff. And I was like, Oh, I gotta get a seven string. So, you know, <laughs> found an Ibanez at uh, seven string and flipped that, and that was my main guitar for a while. Uh, and that about the same time, I got this Taylor, or no, I got the Taylor before I got the seven string, and then uh, the seven string was my prime electric for a long time, and then I just gave that away. And that and was I, the right, it was a righty too. Yeah, it was ready too. Man, there's just, the, the knobs just driving. I don't miss that at all. The knobs. I don't miss the knobs at all. No, no. Nope, when you're nope. when you're playing them upside down, the the knobs always under your elbow. Yep. Um, you're the default. Damn it! You know, you, you and you like roll the roll the thing off, and then you'd always have these marks all over your arms. Yep. The volume, the, the 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 little divots in the volume. Oh um, yeah, that sucked. <laughs> And then the the trunk system were always a pain in the butt because well, I mean like, you couldn't find lefties for anything like yep back and right didn't exist so I mean they exist and then that's you know why I got the Taylor between because I was looking at Taylors and Martins I had not known about Breedlove at the time but would have done them but uh, I didn't know it, it I haven't even heard of them you know it was like I went in and I was gonna order one and they were like well you can get like a Taylor and they don't upcharge for a lefty or a Martin, which charges 10%. Yeah. It's like Taylor, you know, forget that. I'm not giving you an extra time set if I'm already spending like two grand. Or no, I paid like 1500 bucks for this, which in retrospect is crazy. Cause the same model now goes for like 5,500, which is like, sure. 
Its prices went up a lot. Yeah. It's either inflation or just whatever the prices just went crazy. But that was probably more the prices just went crazy. You can still get a less fall for fifteen to two thousand, and that's what they were going for when I was there growing up. I don't know. Standard, not really. Standards are cheaper, but like the ones nowadays. No standard. I mean standards are three grand at least. Really? Yeah. Leave on that. Um, you can get the studios. Maybe I'm thinking the studios. The, there's a more like the traditional. I think is about two grand, maybe twenty five hundred. Hmm. Um, that's it. my dream guitar at the time was a Les Paul studio that was all black with the gold pickups covers. Oh, nice. And uh, that pretty much sums up all of that. Part of the carbon went. Or not the carbon. The Ivan is seven string, and the five, the six string I gave to somebody to like redo the paint on, but never got bothered to get it back. You know, it was <laughs> a, a girl I was kind of interested in, so it was like, oh yeah, sure, paint this. This will keep us talking to each other. And then I just moved and fell out of interest and whatever else. Um, and then the uh, the this the green machine that I have here. It was something that I built. Uh, with a buddy of mine, Rich Thulis, who still puts together guitars. He does a phenomenal job. Mm-hmm. And this I've had for 10 years, and it's built like a tank. It's great. It's a great guitar. For the- yeah, I think I remember when you got that, or at least yeah. somewhere like, near then. Yeah. And everything together, I paid like 800 bucks for it, but it's probably one of the best playing electric I've ever had, outside of the PRS, for obvious reasons. Oh, I forgot. The creme de la creme uh, guitar that I had was a Satriani JS-1 that was signed by him that uh, it had the flying in a blue dream skull paint job on it nice it was and then that i had to have it like i went to there's this place in rochester which you probably heard of the rochester house of guitars where it's like this maybe three, yeah it's a three-story house a big house but it's filled with guitars and it was awesome to go through because they actually had they had like the prs santana uh, model and everything else like right there you know and that was like seven thousand dollars back in the, the 90s and uh, like all these crazy out there guitars coral sitar guitars you know you name it they yeah, had it there nothing cool. left-handed but the, or, i mean yeah, of course you know, nothing in the same thing that's just the way it was but like i saw that guitar and i'm like i have to have that guitar i have to you know and so i i, I think it was somewhere around like 1500 bucks to 2000 i bought it my parents were so pissed uh, <laughs> still did it, and I'm just like it's signed by. And luckily, the, he did the smart thing. He signed the backplate, so I just bought another backplate and took that one up with the signature off, but the real back, another black, so I could play it. Because I'm like, I ain't just keeping this thing. I'm gonna use it. Yeah, Statue, right. I'm gonna use this thing. Damn it. <laughs> you know? uh, so that was my main instrument for the longest time. And, and that I, was a righty too. Huh? Yeah, that was a righty too. Yep. Man. So and I traded that guitar. For a car, <laughs> you know, I got a, a used Mercedes for that guitar, and I should have kept that guitar because I mean, I, at the time it was a great deal, and it still was a good uh, trade off. But I looked up how much those things were worth like ten years ago, yeah, and they were going for eleven thousand dollars, twelve thousand dollars. I was like, damn, dum dum dum, yeah, right. And that wasn't even signed, you know. It, it, it was a signed one. It could have been worth well more than that. Um, so I was like, oh, well, live and learn, you know, and now what I, then I bought that classical or I had a beater classical and then I was borrowing somebody's old Martin's classical and then I ordered the Thames and gave the other one back. And then uh, I had the Thames, my custom electric, my eighth string, which was the newest guitar that I got. 
and then that Barnett uh, one that I teach on. So that's my little guitar history of all the instruments that I've gone through. Nice. So, and you, what's your guitar history here? I mean, if I'm going to spill my beans on what I've had to buy and restring, you can do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll do this, and then we're going to call it. All right. But uh, let's see. So I started with the Gretsch that you see there, um, which is pretty fortunate. And it was tuned righty, and I guess it's a little backstory there is, like, it wasn't like watching guitar players or something that got me into guitar. Um, I moved, we moved to Erie, Pennsylvania when I was 10 and the room that I was attached to actually went up into the attic and up in the attic was this guitar because my dad used to play when we were kids and he kind of stopped. And I remember we, I, I remember thinking like we were never allowed to touch it, but I would like sneak up in the attic when no one was looking and kind of play with it. And I remember like, um, not having any idea how a guitar worked. You know, and I was like kind of doing something like this, and then eventually, like I pushed something, and I was like, "Oh!" And then I kind of I knew some piano because we took piano lessons. Yeah. And I think I was like, you know, something like that. But it, like I got the it gist right now with your atonal efficiency. Yeah, that's right. It fits perfect. But I I got the gist of like how it worked, and I might have went like whatever I did. I didn't. I didn't totally know enough, you know, at the time I was 10 or whatever. But so I played that and my dad eventually saw me playing it. And then he kind of showed me how to tune. And it's funny, I, th- I can't even remember when I switched the strings. He, my dad must have convinced me to switch the strings over at some point since I was playing lefty. So I just like naturally played it lefty. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but at some point I remember buying this acoustic guitar at like a church rummage sale for $25. And it was so bad. I mean, the action was like this and I don't know. I don't know if I ever changed the strings on that guitar. So, and I remember specifically bleeding like, and like it, this was also the same time I was trying to learn like to play like an F chord. <laughs> I really remember this too, like, and like really like trying, and it would never work. And I'm like, this is horrible. Like, I suck. I'm horrible, you know. And I couldn't. Have, it was like I had nothing. Problem. I mean, not that it didn't have a little bit to do with me, but um, no, the action does make a huge difference. Huge difference. So I do. I do remember though. Like at one time, I went with my dad to the store with the Gretsch, and this would have been kind of young. Like, the, and the guy was like, "Dude, that's a Gretsch Corvette. Holy cow! Like, what? Is, like sixty, seventy? He's like, that thing's probably worth." five thousand dollars whatever it was yeah yeah. and i was like well crap i can't (laughs) keep using this guitar like because i i was one of the best things i ever did is when i was like 12 13 started playing in bands like making bands like 12 13 years old and and uh pretty much been in bands my whole life and uh but it was like you know it's a kind of like punk rock alternative whatever nirvana ish stuff and it's like, well, I can't keep doing that. Ironically, the other guitar player in the band that I played with was left-handed and played lefty. Well, that works. And uh, incidentally, he he's starting to play again. We've been reconnecting recently. He was in the he was in the army. He just retired. <laughs> nice. Uh, so he's That's retired. Kind of, you know, if you live till you're forty something, you can retire pretty early. Yeah, right. So uh, anyway, so he's been picking up guitar again. 
But so he would let me borrow um, some of his guitars sometimes. There was a red guitar. I don't even know what it was. Eventually, though, I bought... And I, I, I feel like there's a guitar I'm missing here, but... I eventually bought this Kramer Focus guitar, the Focus 2000, with a scallop fretboard. Oh, dang, man. And it only had a bridge pickup. It was white. It was right-handed. Um, and it had a Floyd Rose, like the old Floyd Rose on it. Um, and it only went one way, like an only like a one-way Floyd Rose. Yeah. Um, and I had that guitar. And then eventually, I think I was like a senior in high school, and I got a Mexican Strat. At the same time, I also got like a maybe a Yamaha classical. So I started playing some classical, and so then really for a while there, the Strat, the Mexican Strat, and the that classical were the two guitars I played the most. I almost never played the that Kramer because the knobs got in my way. Eventually, though, when I got to New York City, I traded that Kramer for, I want to say maybe that's what got me the Mesa. Okay. So, like, I sold that and got the Mesa um, head. Something like that. Or maybe it was the cabinet. Anyway, so I've had that for a while, too. And then I had ordered, at the time, I ordered the, in 2000, I ordered the Carvin um, 747, DC 747. And that was my main guitar for the longest time. Up until what, like, I don't know, seven years ago, maybe? Five, seven? Yeah, you were using that when we met in school. Yeah. And so I used that. And then during that time, though, I actually got into, like, fretless and stuff. So I had ordered... Um, maybe that Ibanez that you had that was fretless. Yeah, but Ibanez is fretless. And I have another acoustic that I got that was fretless. Oh, at some point I got an Ovation. I have an Ovation acoustic. I still have it. The tuners all broke. Every single one of them is broke. <laughs> like, broke, broke. And then uh, it had, like, a plastic... Um, what are this? What's the... Uh, why am I blanking? Uh, what was that? The rosette is plastic, like ripped off. Um, it's actually not that bad of a playing guitar, though. It actually plays really well when it's. There you go. So I, I'm like, I was thinking recently, I need to get some tuners for that thing. And then, uh, what happened after that? So, I think the next main guitar I got was the GNL Legacy. Okay, you still oh, have that. Yeah, right. you was, that's a great guitar. Um, and for a while, that that's actually had some moments where it was sort of like my main guitar. And I, I'm always finding like good used deals. So yeah, then right. I, that well, was I mean, a that was a good used deal. I think I it was a it's a USA one and it's like from '94 and they still have like hand carved the necks and all these kind of things. It's a pretty cool guitar. Um, and after what what would have been after that? At some point, I got another Carvin. Uh, DC 400, which has also been a main guitar a few times. Um, it's, it's a really great playing guitar. It's a little dead sounding in a way, but I actually I took all the electronics out. So the DC 400s, I don't know if they had all these like crazy active electronic EQ thing, whatever. Right. It always sounded crappy to me, so I ripped all that stuff out. <laughs> What's funny now? It has a bunch of holes. It's up, I think it's upstairs. It has a bunch of holes in it. 
like where the te- <laughs> the knobs were, but I just took something out. So now it's re- it resonates more. All right, yeah. But I I only put I think two knobs in it instead, just to make it a little bit, or maybe like a strat. I can't even remember now. But it had four. It was more like a Les Paul. Yeah. And then at some point I got a Hagstrom uh, Viking, which is also a pretty cool guitar. Um, I got that. I actually had two Sir pedals. I had a Sir Riot and a Sir Jack Rabbit. I never really bonded with the Riot, which is their like distortion pedal. Mm-hmm. But I really did like the Jack Rabbit. That's a great um, tremolo pedal. But anyway, I traded that for the Hagstrom straight up. Oh, nice. <laughs> and now, yeah, I mean that was a pretty good deal, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think what else. Oh, then I think not too long after that, I got the Schecter Banshee 7. Oh, I saw a Schecter Hellraiser. So before that, I got a Schecter Hellraiser, which is another guitar I got for like 300 bucks. <laughs> um, I've had that probably 12 years or so. It's my first shred guitar. Incidentally, the first guitar I ever had that didn't have like medium frets. <laughs> that were smaller it's the first one actually had like big frets on it and i was like oh so this is what when jumbo frets so that's way easier (laughs) yeah i've kicked around redoing my classical jumbos oh yeah and then uh, eventually got the brian moore i think i'm skipping a few generations here but i think a year or two i got the brian moore c55p man i got a great deal on that as well um, I think I paid like 800 for it. You can't even find those really for less than like 1500 I think. Yeah, I was going to say. And that is an awesome, that's a really nice guitar. Um, it's funny, like sometimes I'll I'll kind of get in the mode of playing like the Carvin or the G&L and they're pretty nice. And I kind of like just forget about playing the Brian Moore and then I'll play the Brian Moore and I'm like, why did I even bother playing the <laughs> other ones? Like it, it just sounds so much better. It plays really nice. It's got so much more character. The, the electronics, the pickups, everything's so much just better on it. Um, and then I got this a year and a half ago, which is an Eastman um, AR503. This is the first guitar I ever bought where I actually got to try it first. <laughs> and, and tr- yeah, it's South Park, South Park Guitars. And then my roast, most recent acquisition was uh, the K-Line which I have over here, but it's kind of behind stuff. K-Line Telly, which is the best guitar I have. Um, even better than the Brian Moore. Okay, there you go. So, uh, actually, it, does, it doesn't play quite as easy as the Brian Moore, but it has so much more, like, life and character to it. So yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that thing screams just acoustically. Like, I remember you sending the videos. It's like, oh, yeah. impressive. Yeah, it's kind of funny when you, like, hear it just acoustically how much louder it is. So. Mm. Cool. Uh, there's our, so what will be hard. next? Who knows? Yeah, that, that's. Uh, I mean, I was I looking at I'm... Chapman sticks this week. I studied with a Chapman stick player, Steve Adelson, in New York. Yeah, I watched a couple of the videos. He was on YouTube or something way back in the day. I remember seeing him because he had like the weird like horn things coming out of the bottom of the. Is this the same guy? The horn coming out of the Chapman stick. You're not thinking of Tony Levin, right? No, 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 no. no. I, definitely this guy because it was in a club in New York. Like a video. Maybe that was something. Well, he might, he might have. He has a lot of sticks, so I'm not sure. But I used to yeah. study with him. I did all this like two hand tapping stuff, and he's like, "You gotta get a stick." And I remember I had actually saved 
money for it. I don't remember how much they were at the time. It would have been like 2005. I had all the money saved. I was like, the next day I was going to order it. And my roommate was like, I'm leaving. I'm going back home. And I'm like, <laughs> I didn't have enough. I needed like money to cover rent and all these kind yeah, of things. Yeah. So I was like, ah. So I never ordered it. And now they're, they're, they're a decent amount more money. They might be like double what they cost then. I've always been curious about that. Of course, I can't really do that because... And I've actually gotten to a point, if I'm going to tap, I'll use my pinky. Yeah. I, now I think it's probably a distraction. I don't tap as much as I used to, and I'm... Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm like, my dad was like this, too. Like, I, I'm like, oh, cool, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this. And, like, I do, like, a lot of, like, visual art stuff and drawing, and I love doing all those things, but I'm like, like Tim, you got to just pick, pick like, <laughs> something, you know? Um, focus. And uh, I don't tend to do that very well. So I, sometimes I'm like, ah, I probably shouldn't do, like, really be worrying about tapping and stuff. I should hone in on the things I'm good at or whatever. Anyway. Uh, that's, that's a whole other discussion of you know, where you spend your time practicing to improve and are you wasting your time going through the new flashy technique that'll be gone in a couple of days or is it going right. to be really a good technical thing to have under your belt because it's unique and it's completely usable. Yeah, you know, keep keep that, that thought in mind and then that reminds me of another topic we should bring up at some point. Like, I don't know about you but I Long ago, I had a vision of what I was hoping to be guitar-wise and what that thing was. I didn't really know how to, like, um, quantify what it is or whatever or tell you what it was. <laughs> but but it still, like, rings in the back of my head what that thing is. And I still couldn't tell you exactly what it is. But yeah. I do think that I, like, tap on the things that it was. Like, there's part of that was, like, this just ability to tap and go anywhere on the guitar and do all these kind of things. That was always part of the long-term vision of where I was hoping to go. Yeah, be be curious to talk to you about that, too. Yeah, let's save that, because I could immediately start going down that rabbit hole without a problem. (laughs) We'll try to remember, folks. Yeah, that's easy for me to do. I'll write it down. Yeah, (laughs) and I won't. (laughs) (laughs) You'll improvise it. (laughs) All right, folks. Thanks for listening. It's been a fun time. Yep. Peace.